I want to congratulate InterVarsity for 75 years of life-giving, generative ministry. Please give yourselves a hand. Hallelujah. What a wonderful achievement and blessing to the world. I'd like to also congratulate President Tom Lin for his new appointment. Surely the Lord has brought you for such a time as this. May the Lord bless you and your family in this wonderful journey. I'd also like to thank Kim Porter, who extended this invitation and, and worked with me throughout the months leading to this conference. And uh, I also want to give a, a great shout-out to a dear friend and colleague, uh, the Reverend Dr. Orlando Crespo and his wonderful, his wonderful wife, Maritza. <laughs> Reverend Dr. Crestwell has been a source of strength and encouragement and inspiration in my life. And I am honored to have you both as friend and as colleague. Thank you so very much for your life and your testimony. Amen. Uh, well, today I would like to kind of share with you uh, a little bit of some crucible moments of life and, and some ways to respond to it. Uh, I'd just like to share that uh, we are living in tumultuous times. Uh, there is um, a shift in the cultural zeitgeist of this country, uh, where, whether we like it or not, or whether we acknowledge it or not, we have been thrusted into a context of controversy. Uh, and this is very real. Uh, the results of the current elections have left some doing a proverbial dance in the end zone, right? And uh, that's, that was exciting for some, you know. And, and, and for others, it's been a, a moment of shock and, uh, and their weeping and gnashing of teeth of sort. And, and you couldn't have a, a more greater contrast when you look at this. You go, wow. And we witness a nation that's divided, a church that's divided, sometimes even organizations that are divided. But it's in the midst of this milieu that we believers are called to radically love the radically other. We have been called to love. And this is, this is a, an opportunity for us to shine. An opportunity for us to lead the way. It is essential that we come together lest we become torn apart. You know, my family comes from, I have a military family. I have, we come from Marines. I have a brother's Marine, a nephew's a Marine. Been to Iraq, Afghanistan as a contractor. And if you ask any military personnel, they'll tell you that it's one thing to live a garrison life. It's another thing to be deployed. Uh, these same soldiers that will get into fistfights back at home on base will willingly die for each other on the fields of combat. And they will say, you know... We are together. We are one. And they'll throw themselves on a hand grenade if necessary. And I just want to remind us that sometimes we forget who the real enemy is. Sometimes we forget, you know, why we're in this fight. Sometimes we forget and we get distracted about what is the essential realities that we need to do. And that's love and, and to embrace one another. We're living in times when the church will once again have to model for the world what is radical love, what is intentional dialogue 
having difficult discussions in a loving and respectful manner. How do you peacemake? Now, there's a difference between peace faking and peacemaking, right? Right? And, and we need peacemaking. We need to create authentic community. And that is never easy. That is not easy. We need to model biblical forgiveness and possess a spirit of generosity. Just a note on difficult conversations. I, I have a wonderful brother. He's a born-again Jewish brother. He's actually the person who drove me to the airport. And, uh, but we are polar opposites politically. You know, we're, we're, like, we're politically, uh, uh, diametrically opposed poli- poli- politically. We come from a, a, a different theological framework, you know. But spiritually, we're sort of like we're on the same tip, on an evangelical tip. That keeps, us, that keeps us grounded, right? Ever so often, he posts stuff on Facebook. <laughs> I don't know if it's ever happened to you when you, you see a post and the Spirit says, keep scrolling, keep, keep scrolling. Right? Yeah, or it's time to shut this down. Okay, no more Facebook today. Right? And ever so often, <laughs> I, I, I'll break out and I'll just say, Señor, tócalo, Jehová. Señor, háblale. You know, you know it's bad if you just break out into spontaneous Spanish. You know, like, Lord, touch him, man. Lord, touch him, you know. But you know what? I started thinking. I said, you know, he probably does the same thing on my post. Right? <laughs> he probably breaks out in Yiddish. Adonai, touch Meshigano. Touch him. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. We've had some heated discussions, you know, and it's really bad if you get drawn into a firefight on Facebook, which I try to avoid at all costs. I don't like doing that, you know, but I, I've had times where I say, I can't believe I'm debating my friend in a public forum. And I'm like, no, 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 this can't be. But what happens is, um, we love one another. We're committed to one another. And we have difficult discussions. And you know what? There are times when he has helped me see things differently. He's changed my perspectives on things. And there are times when I have done that for him. When he has changed his perspectives. And he has, he has been um, transformed, and so have I. And, and we're committed to one another. We're committed to love one another. And to learn from one another. Amen? We need to do that. We need to do that. History will judge us on where we stand in the moments of controversy. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of controversy and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. We are definitely living in controversial times, but this is nothing new. The Bible and history has filled, is filled of examples of the, of the gospel people who survived and thrived in controversial times and moments of social political upheavals. Each generation has its struggles, and we will encounter ours. Ministry is not for the faint of heart. Tell the person next to you, ministry is not for the faint of heart. 
<laughs> it isn't. It's going to take courage, amen? We will encounter moments of hardship, times of challenge, of our faith, encounters that will stretch the fibers of our lives. What are some of those challenges that we encounter in ministry? How do we remain encouraged and motivated and resilient? What practices and disciplines and responses can we have in order to remain encouraged? Well, any casual examination of the state of affairs of church will show that the majority of the church seems to be in trouble. Uh, the statistics have shown that many churches are dwindling, particularly among millennials. Uh, while these numbers may be jarring to some, it nevertheless shows that there is a great opportunity to re-envision, to reform, to renew, and to relaunch the church as we know it. Anyone in ministry for a significant matter of time will eventually encounter frustration, fear, failure, fatigue. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Many doing ministry experience the crucible of rejection, ridicule, betrayal, humiliation, abandonment. You know, there are some things you can't learn in books. I'm sorry. You can't take to 10 fast ways to overcome betrayal. <laughs> it don't work that way. You know, there are things that you experience by living through them. And then for some of us, it's ever more painful uh, when we have been betrayed by people we've looked up to. It could be a pastor, a leader, someone that you, you honored, or, or someone that was really close to you. I knew someone who was mentoring, there was a woman mentoring a young lady, only to have that woman have an affair with her husband. Can you imagine a sense of betrayal? Like, here I am depositing my life into this young woman, only to experience this deep betrayal, how do, you, how do you survive something like that? Well, I, I want to tell you that she did. Her, her marriage is still together. <laughs> Planted churches for the glory of God, hallelujah. Forgiveness, thriving, a full gospel identity and restoration. A faith in a moment of being within a crucible. Um, you know, we don't really know our faith until it is tested, you know? And when it is tested, we will find out who we are. And then there's ridicule. You have people just laugh at you. Uh, Jesus went through that. Matthew 9, 24, he said to them, uh, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. They laughed at Jesus. Jesus experienced rejection. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it shows us just how much Jesus re was rejected. He said he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Then there's moments that people try to humiliate you, 
I don't know if any of you have ever encountered that, when people will purposely try to humiliate you. And in Acts chapter 22, verses 15, we see that Paul was going to get whipped. They were going to humiliate him in public. And, and he, he says, and they stretched him out to flog him. And Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? And he had to stand up for himself and, and he had to uh, assert his rights. And there are times where you will have to assert your rights as well. Amen. There were times where you have to stand strong and remind people just who you are. Amen? And then there's abandonment. Uh, sometimes I've had stories of many of my friends who are church planners. Start off with a launch team. Bye-bye launch team. Hello, has that ever happened? Yeah, you say, hey, we committed, we did all this, and oh, no, the Lord told me to go somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, people have been abandoned just in the critical moments, you know, when you most needed them. And 2 Timothy Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And then there's ministerial burnout. Have you hit that wall? Were times when you said, man, I don't know if I could keep going on. You know, I've had, I've had, you know, um, I've had pastors tell me, I don't even know if I believe in this anymore. You know that? Can you imagine this? He goes, and they told me, David, I feel like, a, like some type of fraud because I have to show up on Sunday and preach to these people, and I don't even know if this is real anymore. Can you imagine getting to the place of a burnout to question the whole thing. But praise God, you know what? We created a context by which he is able to say that to other pastors and not be judged, to have the safety of, imagine someone's trying to pull that off in your denomination. <laughs> well, to be able to say, Dave, I don't, I don't know if that could keep going. And, um, and this person is thriving doing well. It was a season of his life. And there are times when we'll do just that. We're going to hit a wall, and that wall will hurt. Um, But God is with us in the midst of the pain. Amen? How do we respond to hurt? Well, remember who called you. It wasn't the critics who called you, right? It wasn't the naysayers. It wasn't the haters, right? Jesus called you, and once you know that Jesus called you, that'll give you fortitude in order to go forward. Acknowledge the pain. Sometimes we romanticize stuff, and we're masters at sublimating the things that we experience. And we convince ourselves that we ought not to be feeling what we're feeling. Why can't we just say, hey, this is bad, I'm hurt, or I have been wronged, or I feel lonely? Or I failed. Why can't we just own that and know that we're really truly experiencing this? Now, I'm not advocating to wallow in pain, but I, I also do not want us to dehumanize ourselves by ignoring or denying that we feel pain. The Bible says that Jesus wept. And you know, there are times that we ought to as well. There are times that we need to weep with those who weep. 
And then, you know, there's, the, there's this one thing I, that I learned from Oswald Chambers. And he called it the discipline of disillusionment. And I was very blessed by that. Let me explain. I was a young man. I was in church. And I was invited to become a board member. So, you know, I'm in church. Everything's great. I'm loving the Lord. It's exciting. And, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, it's just like... Yeah, everything, you know, this is amazing, you know, like everything's beautiful, you know. And then they asked me to be on the board. <laughs> you know where I'm going. <laughs> so when I, when I go on the board, I say, oh, my God, I am shocked to, to now encounter, you know, the, the politics, the stuff. Amen. The, and I was a young man because I don't even know if they should have invited me to be on the board. And I said, man, Lord, is this the church? You know, and, and I was hurt because I was deflated. I couldn't believe that this is this was going on be, behind the scenes. And then I needed help. <laughs> and I read Oswald Chambers and he had a beautiful devotional in a way that only Oswald Chambers does. And he said, the discipline of disillusionment. And he said this. He says, sometimes God would allow you to be disillusioned. And it's a gift. You know why? Because disillusion basically is taking the illusion away. Basically, you had an illusion. Right? But you didn't know it. You didn't know it. I'm doing you a favor. I'm taking it away. And I said, oh, oh, I get it. I get it. And then I felt the Spirit of God was doing something. And the Spirit of God was basically saying, David, you know, you wanted to be in leadership, right? I said, yes, come on in, right? Come on. But, but then he said this, where I'm taking you and, and what I want to do through you, you need to see things not as you want them to be. Or not as they ought to be, but as they really are, as they really are. And by that, he had to take away the illusion. And now that I'm able to truly see, now I am able to exert a particular leadership for transformation and see things and work through things that really are. Amen? There are times where we have to go through this discipline, when we will be stripped like bare bark. And when that happens, welcome. Amen. <laughs> welcome the Lord. You know why? Because that means God is doing something profound and deep in your life. Amen. But he, I'm going to do another shout out to Oswald Chambers. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he, um, he, he loves to talk about broken bread and, and poured out wine. And, um, you know, in a climate of triumphalistic theology that frames Christianity as a continuing, a continuum of ever-increasing blessings, hello, it is not popular to speak about suffering, right? The truth is that sometimes uh, we suffer um, and we have to grin and bear it, but there's a greater good that comes through it. And Oswald Chambers talks about crushed olives 
and crushed grapes. That in order to get wine, in order to get oil, the olives and the grapes need to be crushed. And I said, man, that sounds painful. (laughs) I'm like, is there another way? Sounds familiar, right? Is there another way to do this? And I don't know if you've ever been crushed when you've been hurt. And, um, but there are times when that crushing is the way that the fragrance comes out of your life. And sometimes it's the crushing that allows what's beautiful to come out and the oil that will sustain other people. It is your experience of pain that sometimes allows you to be the bomb that will help other people in their pain. And I'm not romanticizing suffering, uh, but I also know that sometimes we do. Amen? And, and we need to ask God, what, what would you have me do, Lord? Amen? Sometimes our brokenness and our pain is converted into something beautiful. Something that can transform the world. Ernest Hemingway said, the world breaks everyone. And afterwards, some are strong in the broken places. God will take our brokenness and turn it into something of beauty. And he'll give us strength. And it'll be a testimony for the world. Amen? How do we persevere in difficult times? Well, you need to develop spiritual disciplines. And I like what has been, doing, what has been done in the conference is we need silence. We really do. Um, there are way too many distractions. We need to unplug. Lord knows we don't need another social media platform. <laughs> right? The, do we, we need like social media detoxing. Isn't that true? Uh, so we need to still our, slow, our souls to slow down from our frenetic living, to slow down and be still. I was talking to my brother just the other day, and he was telling me uh, some of the challenges he had and, and how slowing down in his life has helped him uh, to see the world differently and to, uh, and to just see, a different, see life from a different perspective. And I really appreciate you sharing that uh, because um, that's exactly what we need to do is to slow down and, and see with eyes that, that come from the Lord. We need to retreat and to reflect. Get away. Find different surroundings. Find a comfortable spot. Hike, kayak, dance, run, have a nature walk. Get away. Find the thing that rejuvenates your soul. Because if you're going to be in it for the long haul, you need to sustain this. And if you don't take care of yourself, you could end up being a statistic. We need to take out the time. There's a powerful word that I ever so often have uh, another romantic experience with. And the word is no. No. Yeah. Yeah. What a liberating word. Try it. You'll like it. 
Yeah. Just now, I'm here at a conference. I'm getting invitations to stuff. And I'm like, those are Saturdays. I'm a pastor now. I'm like, Saturdays are golden. Send. I know. And then I have, I, I'm so free because I can say, no, I'm not going to do this. You know why? Because I need time for myself. I need time for my family. I need time for my G.I. Joes. Amen. <laughs> Whatever it does to make you feel better, you need time. You need that precious time in your life. Find rest. In 1994, I went to a leadership conference and they handed me a book. And I looked inside of it and it was blank. What do you want me to do with this? That's for you. Yes. It was called a journal. <laughs> so I figured, oh, you have like some assignments that we're going to do. No. That's like for you. Okay. Like, like write stuff in it. Like anything, whatever comes to your mind. It's yours. <laughs> and I still wasn't getting it. Do I write stuff and we're going to go over it? No. We're not going to go over it. That's for you. <laughs> to make a long story short, I've never stopped journaling. I, I, journaling is so therapeutic. Uh, I'm able to process what I go through. Um, I want to encourage you, if you haven't, uh, to journal uh, and allow God to speak through you. Uh, sometimes to look back at certain times of crises you can see where, where, what the Lord has done through your life, through the years. And, um, and you can also see how crazy you thought. <laughs> you say, I thought like that? You say, yeah, that was you, brother. <laughs> that was you. Amen. Uh, another thing is uh, find your, quote, tribe. Find your tribe. Who are your peeps? Who are, who are, the, who are your colleagues, the, the safe place? The people that, you know, the whole ride and die folk. You know what I mean? Back in the hood, it was like we ride, we die together. You know, it was like something come up. You know, you want your friends to say, we're going to throw down, we're going to throw down. You know, this is it, you know. <laughs> this is all we got. <laughs> right? You need friends like that, believe me. You do. Uh, so find your tribe, but avoid tribalism. Avoid tribalism. Yeah. See, because we need a community, amen? But when it's just us and nobody else, sometimes that very good virtue that we have, that connection, can turn into something ugly. You see? And I am fearing that maybe, maybe, that that's what's happening with our nation. That the very virtue of, ident of identification, the very virtue of something that is good can turn into something ugly. So we, we do need, we do need one another. And there are people that not all friends are alike. Let's admit it. Not all friends are alike. The things I might share with you may not be the same things I'll share with somebody else. And that's real and, and that's good and that's healthy. We need a tribe. Jesus had 11. 11. <laughs> Let's get this straight. 
I know about the 12. He had 11. <laughs> Moses had Jethro. He spoke into his life. Ruth had Naomi. Mary had Elizabeth. We need friends, amen, to survive this thing. A tribe is where you can be yourself and be vulnerable. A tribe is where truth-telling and deep listening occurs. A tribe is where you can be held accountable. A tribe is a place where you can bring one's fear, your failure, your frustrations, and your foolishness, and not be judged. Amen? Amen. We need people like that, people that we can trust, people that we, we can love, and people that will love us. For my final remarks, I want to share with you that there's a new TV show, I don't know what it was, but it have a tagline that I immediately took to. You've heard, you've heard of, like, the tagline, or the, when they say, no guts, no glory. You've heard that, no guts, no glory. Well, they said, no guts, no story. I said, yeah, I really like that. I like that because I like narrative psychology. I like, I like, you know, right away I said, oh, wow, I like narrative theology. No guts, no story. And what happens is, um, what's your story? Where, where, where are you living? And what is your contribution to the world? I want to tell you that I'm, I'm a hospice chaplain. Every single day, I am reminded of mortality. Every single day, I speak to people who can't go to the bathroom on their own. People for whom uh, sometimes can't even speak. And it's, it's, it's incredibly sobering. And um, what is going to be your epitaph, what is your footnote? What are you living for? No guts, no story. We'll be courageous. You know, Paul Tillich in his book, Courage to Be, he, he says that um, courage is the foundational virtue that enables all other virtues to operate. Without the virtue of courage, we remain frozen, paralyzed, and live unactualized lives. No guts, no story. Tell the person next to you, no guts, no story. Tell them, no guts, no story. We need to have courage. This won't be easy. We need to be our authentic selves. We need to have difficult conversations. We need to allow God to move within us and among us. Amen? You know, 2017, as I was thinking of the 75th anniversary of InterVarsity, you know that uh, you all share an anniversary of, a, of another special kind. Uh, President Lynn, we, we also share the anniversary of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation this year. Amen? Amen. We, this year we celebrate uh, the Luther's 95 theses that he, he posted on the church door, changing the history of the church, his country, and the world forever. Uh, as I reflect about InterVarsity and Luther, I can't help but see some commonalities. Luther, like InterVarsity, live in a time of controversy, in a moment of cultural shift. Luther, like InterVarsity, leverage publishing. Hallelujah. 
and the latest technology to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Luther, like InterVarsity, possessed and possesses a prophetic voice that touches the world. Amen. InterVarsity, I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just preach or teach, don't just write, but live your lives in such a way to allow it to shine that the world will say, oh my God, these people are amazing. Amen. What will be your epitaph? What will be your contribution? Have the guts. Live your story. Make disciples of the nation that the next 75 years will be blessed. And I pray that in the next 500 years, people will sing your praises. May the Lord bless you all. Thank you so much.